Hi, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Fridays podcast, a weekly podcast covering developments in the ETF industry. My name is Sumit Roy, and I'm Senior Analyst for ETF.com. This week, we're talking with Patrick Galley, Chief Executive Officer and Chief Investment Officer at River North. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sumit. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Patrick, I think it would be great if we could start off by having you tell us about River North. What kind of firm is it and what do you do over there? River North is an asset manager uh, based in Chicago in West Palm Beach, Florida. We manage about $5 billion spread across different types of investment vehicles, including mutual funds, hedge funds, closed-end funds, ETFs, separately managed accounts, etc. But we're best known for opportunistically investing in the closed-end fund space. So we're one of the largest, if not the largest, institutional investors in closed-end funds, investing in closed-end funds. That's great. So, Patrick, if I'm not mistaken, you have two ETFs currently on the market. One of them is the River North Patriot ETF, ticker symbol FLDZ. Before this podcast, you told me a little bit about this fund, and I found it to be absolutely fascinating. Can you tell our audience how this ETF works? Yeah, sure. It's, I think it's a first of its kind type of strategy, um, or at least the structure, and that it's really a charitable endeavor for us. Um, there's a charity called the Folds of Honor. Uh, the Folds of Honor is an organization that gives back to fallen and disabled servicemen and women that need scholarship help. And so their families uh, get scholarships, and once they start with a family, um, they don't stop until, you know, it could be postgraduate, it could be elementary school, whatever it might be. Um, but the Folds of Honor is giving scholarships to families of fallen and disabled servicemen and women. So it's something that's near to dear to her heart from a charity standpoint. I got involved with Folds of Honor years ago, actually had a, a kind of an emotional experience where the Folds of Honor's headquarters is actually in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Patriot Golf Club. Uh, the founder of the Folds of Honor, Dan Rooney, Lieutenant Colonel Dan Rooney um, is a, uh, used to be also a professional golfer and founded this golf course within, where the Folds of Honor headquarters are. And we did a, a charity trip to play golf down there. And the only rule that we had when we were there was at 1,300 hours, you had to stop whatever you're doing. It could be golf. It could be eating, uh, laughing, joking, whatever it might be. Uh, but you stop and there's 13 bells that go off. And the significance of 13 is that there's 13, fo- 13 folds in a flag. And when you hear the, the bells go off and you also, then they play taps afterwards, the hair on my arms were standing up and it's like, okay, you're just laughing and joking, playing golf, but here you are. Now you're, you're listening to these bells go off. And it was like really, really uh, impactful uh, saying that there's, you know, that people, people have given so much more. I mean, in many cases, their lives or a leg or an arm, um, you know, for us to have our freedom and freedom isn't free. Um, and so I walked away from that trip and going saying, you know what, instead of just writing a, a check and donating more money to the folds, like what else can we do that's a little bit more impactful uh, for the folds of honor? And so I walked away and thought about it, thought of some ideas, but the one that resonated was, hey, we run a $5 billion asset management firm across different types of strategies and products. And we do well from the firm standpoint. Let's use that infrastructure that we've created at River North to launch a fund that gives back half the fees and all the profits if the profits are more than the, than the half the fees. 
back to the folds of honor. So we created the River North Patriot Fund, ticker FLDZ, uh, which is really investing in U.S.-centric uh, equities. And we can get into that a little bit more, but it, it, the main point is, is that it's an impactful fund by giving directly to the Folds of Honor, which is a very, very well-run organization where 91% uh, is a 91% efficiency ratio, um, where you know that for every dollar that you're giving, at least 91, 91 cents is going directly to a scholarship. I love what you guys are trying to do with this ETF, Patrick. So just to clarify, half the fees and all the profits go to the charity, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and what reason we structured it like that is profits can be somewhat subjective. You know, I don't want anybody thinking that, you know, somebody's making a salary or we got operating. We don't, that, we don't allocate any operating costs or nothing to this fund. So, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to make sure that everybody knew for every dollar that's invested in the fund, that at least half the fees, 35 basis points in this case, is going directly to the Folds of Honor. To the extent the fund grows and, it's, and there's profits beyond half those fees, then those additional profits are going to the Folds of Honor. And that's, that's the whole point, right? As, as this fund grows and gets bigger and bigger, it essentially becomes an annuity for the Folds of Honor. And frankly, you know, it, it can do so much more than we could do alone. It's leveraging the ETF wrapper as a way to give back to a very good, good cause. That's incredible. What a great idea. Do you think we're going to see other charity linked ETFs in the future, Patrick? Is this a potential growth area? I hope so. Uh, you know, I think any asset manager out there that does anything from a charitable standpoint, I mean, I would encourage them to use their infrastructure and maybe it's not even in the asset management industry. It can be any organization that they could leverage their infrastructure to, you know, De dedicate something, a product that they, they do or have uh, to give back to a good cause. Now, of course, at the end of the day, Patrick, FLDZ is a stock ETF, and presumably the people who invest in the fund are doing so with the hope that it delivers strong returns. You mentioned it's an active ETF, so I assume you're aiming to perform better than index funds. So how does FLDZ match up against other broad stock ETFs? Is this a fund that's going to eke out a few extra basis points versus index funds, or is it shooting for the fences? Yeah, definitely not the latter. It's not shooting for the fences. Um, this is a diversified U.S.-centric fund, and so we have a methodology that we go through to get a, a, a pre-curated list of equity names. And, and what we do is essentially it's any U.S. company U.S. domiciled, U.S. exchange traded uh, is eligible. You have to have a $5 billion market cap or above. And then most important, you know, 90% of the revenue of that company has to be generated in the U.S. versus the S&P 500. As an example, you know, 40% of its revenue or its, its constituents' revenue is generated overseas. So the point is, is that, you know, this is not a red or a, a, a blue type fund at all. This is... Um, investing in a very diversified U.S.-centric portfolio, but you're left with just under 300 names. So you get that diversification benefit. Now, what it does also mean, though, is that there's um, sector concentration slash less exposure to certain sectors, such as technology, because most technology companies generate their revenue overseas. And we have some an overweight to finance and healthcare and, and energy, um, given that most of those revenues are generated in the states. And you know that's 
that's just a, a you know our screen of getting to a diversified portfolio. So you know I I view it as if you're investing in ETFs already, you're getting beta exposure or market exposure. Um, this is a way to get mid and large cap exposure to a U.S. centric uh, type type portfolio. All the while doing some good as as well. So I want to shift gears a little bit, Patrick, and talk about talk about your second ETF, which is quite a bit different. It's the River North Enhanced Pre-Merger SPAC ETF. SPCZ is the ticker there. Can you tell us about that one? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, obviously SPACs really have become a four-letter word over the last couple of years. In 2020 and 2021, they were all the rage. And a lot of people didn't even know what a SPAC was. And all of a sudden, they found themselves investing in them. And that really, those couple of years were really an anomaly. We've been investing in SPACs since 2015. Um, so it's not new to us. We didn't know that 2020 and 2021 was going to be as crazy as it was with all these launches. But you know, for those that aren't familiar, a, what a SPAC is, it's a special purpose acquisition company. It's a shell company or a blank check company that has cash in a trust that's raised at an IPO. And that cash sitting in trust is earning money market type interest. And it, it's invested in U.S. short-term treasuries or T-bills, um, or money market type securities. And it's earning that interest sitting in trust while the sponsor of that SPAC is looking for a private company to take public because the SPAC is already publicly traded, traded on the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. And they can do then a reverse merger into that SPAC as a private company and instantly become public. And so when the growth phase and growth equities were very, very hot in 2020 and 2021, it was important for a lot of companies that wanted to take advantage of that public to private premium that existed and go public very quickly. And so they took advantage of the SPACs that were out there. Our strategy is investing in pre-merger SPACs. So we do not want to own an operating company that is merged with a SPAC. And frankly, once that happens, that company is now a publicly traded company. To me, that's not a SPAC anymore. And I think that's where the media gets it wrong a lot because they refer to like DraftKings as an example. That was a that was a SPAC prior to actually merging into a SPAC. Um, DraftKings merged with the SPAC to become publicly traded. To me, DraftKings is not a SPAC anymore. So our strategy is investing and in creating a diversified portfolio of SPACs where our exposure is really the cash sitting in trust, earning interest. Most important, we're typically buying those SPACs in the secondary market or even at IPO and being able to get them at a discount to that trust value. In addition to being able to get the discount to the trust value and the interest that we're earning in the trust, we also have an equity option that if they announce a merger with a company that the market finds attractive, it could trade at a premium to that trust value and then we're able to sell it in the secondary market in addition to having warrants that we get from owning this back. So think of it as a relatively low risk type strategy having a diversified portfolio of SPACs with an, with an equity option. This sounds like a super compelling strategy, Patrick. You're essentially buying a money market fund at a discount, then you get the warrants, warrants on top of that and the optionality of the merger. If it's good, it might trade at a premium. And I'm looking, it's delivered about an 8% total return since inception versus 6.4% from one of the popular uh, ultra short-term bond ETFs. So a good amount of outperformance. What could go wrong? Well, what are the risks to this type of strategy? Yes, yeah, the SPAC itself, that's a legal structure where 
you know what? If you can buy a SPAC, especially buy it at a discount, like number one, always buy it at trust value or at a discount because a lot can go wrong if you pay a premium for it. And that's unfortunately what a lot of folks did in 2020 and 2021, they paid a premium. You don't, you, there's no reason to, to pay a premium for a SPAC in my opinion. Um, but if you're buying at a discount and earning that interest, as long as you can stay liquid and you're not a forced seller, then there's really very little that can go wrong. You know, in the meanwhile, the, the SPACs have roughly an 18 to 24 month life. So over that period of their existence, if they start to trade at a bigger discount, that's when you want to buy more, right? You, you want to buy more if they're trading at a bigger discount. And as long as you can stay liquid and buy more, or even if you can't, as long as you don't have to sell it, then, you know, you might have some mark to market volatility on your statement. But to put it in perspective, the biggest discounts we've seen going back over the last couple of decades is really, you know, high single digits that occurred in March 2020 when there was really a, a, a lot of margin calls out there and forced liquidation um, of folks being over-levered and overexposed and to SPACs in that case, or using it as an ATM where they had to generate cash for other parts of their portfolio. Again, as long as you can stay liquid, and, and, and I would even encourage folks to have some dry powder to be able to buy opportunistically, that would be great. And SPAC-Z or SPCZ, the ETF that we manage, you, know, you might see in the name, it's called Enhanced. The reason it's called Enhanced is we have the ability to opportunistically use leverage in that ETF. So if we see big discounts in the SPAC market, that's where we're going to be utilizing leverage to buy more SPACs at a discount to their trust value. When those discounts narrow, you obviously would want to delever and lock in those excess gains. And how does the SPAC market look today, Patrick? Because I assume this strategy depends on SPACs continuing to be a thing, right? If there aren't any SPACs to invest in, this ETF doesn't work. Are there enough SPACs on the market today? Yes. And that's, I, I think that's a misnomer in the marketplace that a lot of folks think the SPAC market's going away. You know, again, we've been investing in SPACs since 2015. I would say 2020 and 2021 was really an anomaly in the market. And, and folks that are, are benchmarking it, the current market to that, they shouldn't because that's not, that was not a normal market with the number of SPACs um, coming out and IPOing. This year, we've had over 30 SPACs IPO. That's actually above 2019 levels. So, you know, we're we're in more normal territory and maybe even above average compared to historical. And again, in removing the 2021 and 2020 uh, period of time. And so if you have 30 come out in a year and you have 30 come out in the, the following year, that's 60 SPACs over a two-year life because these typically, again, have an 18 to 24-month life. You could create a diverse, very, pretty diversified portfolio, but just remember the exposure that we have on each SPAC is cash sitting in a trust. So all that exposure is the same. It's just may, maybe a matter of discount levels and then also uh, any announcements that any of those SPACs might have. You might have that uh, a, a better option on certain SPACs. So we think, you know, if there's 25 to 50 SPACs, out there in the marketplace, um, even that's a, a good number to have. So two very different ETFs you have there, uh, Patrick, one focused on SPACs and a broad market active ETF. Do you expect to launch more ETFs in the future? Could we potentially see you launch an ETF tied to closed end funds, which is your bread and butter? The ETF market has obviously had a lot of development over the last few years with the uh, onslaught of 
active ETFs. You know, historically, we've always shied away from launching ETFs really because, you know, we're opportunistic investors. We like active strategies. We want to be deploying capital at the right time and take away capital at the right time. And any can't do that in a passive fund. And so, you know, because of active ETFs becoming per prominent, that's the right wrapper for us to execute a lot of our strategies in. I could see us launching more ETFs in the future. There are a couple ETFs investing in closed-end funds that are out there today, uh, most of which are, are passive. We do have a open-ended mutual fund opportunistically investing in closed-end funds today. Uh, simply put, buy more closed-end funds as discounts are wider, sell closed-end funds, and buy ETFs when discounts are narrower. So be tactical in how much closed-end fund exposure you have and, and trading the discounts associated with them. But don't time the underlying asset classes. Maintain that exposure by using ETFs and generate your excess return from the discounts and closed-end funds. And I, I think that type of strategy is well-suited in a active ETF. Well, fantastic. Patrick, we're going to have to leave it there. You gave us a ton of great insight. Thanks so much for your time. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fighters episodes on ETF.com or on any major podcast platform. See you next week.